For the last couple of years, uh, we put a good deal of work into the process of once again deciphering who we believe ourselves to be. You know, who are we? Our cottage meetings gave us clear data on thoughts and priorities from a considerable percentage of you. The visioning team then fleshed that out and put it into a statement that the congregation adopted. Um, And even though we have yet to create a long-range planning team, by simply articulating who we believe ourselves to be, new vibrancy has been building. There's been new fervor for social justice and for environmental justice and for uh, spiritual discernment. And of course, all of these things are good. We created a vision statement, a covenant of right relations, a green committee. We're working on welcoming congregation. And connections have been established with various social justice efforts, including education and literacy. I mean, literacy as distinguished from general education. Um, Equal treatment under the law, alternatives to the death penalty, safe housing, safe neighborhoods, living wage jobs, just to name a few things. Animal rights. Um, We've made a new lap around many of the basic existential questions of Unitarian Universalist communities. And we again renewed our commitment to familiar, mutually held ideals with predictably positive results. Now, because of the very diversity that has defined this tradition, this movement, since 1961 when the Unitarians and the Universalists merged. We've struggled to name what exactly holds us together. What unites us in our diversity, even with different understandings about what might be sacred or how we understand that, what words we use to describe it. When we approach the consideration of our bonds with one another from a who we, who we are perspective, we run into the limits that are set by our differences. Who we are, we run into those limits. Uh, To be inclusive of all the views represented here, there's ultimately a lot we have to leave out. Which in turn leaves us building from shallower connection than we might if we reframe the question. In January, I went to um, the annual gathering of the Southwest Unitarian Universalist District Ministers for multiple hours each day of that gathering and for multiple days 
Our focus was on a new question. At least one that seems to have been edited out of Unitarian Universalist circles for quite some time. We were following a curriculum that I talked about a little bit earlier that was created by uh, Reverend Burton Carley, who was the first called minister of this church and who's been serving in Memphis for decades now. Um, and the minister, Emeritus uh, from First Unitar- uh, Emeriti, um, First Unitarian Church in Dallas, Reverend Laurel Hallman. They were requested to formulate this curriculum as the result of a summit they attended of leaders from across Unitarian Universalism. The summit opened with the following story, and I'll be quoting it as it was presented in the curriculum itself. We started with a worship service. And the very first words uttered were those of Reverend John Luapo, the minister of the the University Unitarian Church in Seattle. He told this story. It seems that in Seattle, the interfaith clergy organization has a tradition of asking senior colleagues to share their life odysseys. On this particular occasion, a Roman Catholic priest was telling his story, and he said that his life had been in large measure a failure. He remembered the heady days of Vatican II and how hopeful he and his generation of liberal priests had been that real change was coming to the church he loved so dearly. And yet these many years later, he felt that the church had, if anything, become hardened and deeply conservative, and his dreams had not been realized. Now, this priest was someone who was valued among the interfaith colleagues, and they were somewhat hurt and stunned by his revelation. And yet, one colleague noted, despite the severity of his words, his demeanor seemed quite peaceful and content. How can you claim that your life is a failure and yet appear so calm and serene? They asked. I know whose I am, replied the priest. I know whose I am. Clearly for him, at least, that knowingness was worth having. Whose are we? Who or what do we serve that transcends self, goes beyond our narrow personal interests, and binds us to each other in spirit? and carries us into deeper living with more profound peace. Apparently, at the same summit, another minister commented that Unitarian Universalists seem to have a don't-ask, don't-tell policy about our concepts and experiences 
of that which we consider greater. Does that ring true to anybody? I can't read your faces from here. (laughs) I understand that the language we might use to discuss those things can evoke strong responses from the other people in our community. And that makes it feel unsafe because the things about which we would be trying to talk quite often are ineffable, undescribable, and maybe even ephemeral as as our understandings change. But that kind of openness and risk-taking is exactly what this curriculum that we were working through at the minister's uh, gathering was designed to create or to encourage and facilitate. And it was those depths that we were plumbing together. It's not uncommon among the ministers of this tradition to be hungry for that kind of depth, and I would assume that it's true of the membership as well. Maybe not everyone, but certainly a good portion of the membership. What is it that sustains you through your dark nights of the soul, your losses, your grief, your disappointments, fears, pain, sense of failure? To whom do you belong? What owns your heart? What gives you the love that you share with other people? Daring to make even awkward attempts to give expression to our spiritual lives and experiences reinforces the connections we have with each other and the connections that we have with the sacred. Sharing ideas and concepts that we hold most dear in spaces that we work to intentionally make safe for those discussions and for that kind of vulnerability. Being heard and listening without interrupting, without preparing for the next thing you want to say. It gives us an opportunity to cultivate our own spirits and then to offer deeper, richer soil for the generations that come after us. If we can't talk about it, and a lot of us grew up with traditions that at least gave us words to start with, and we operate in a tradition where we try not to use any of those words because we don't want to offend anybody, 
How in the world will our children ever be able to discuss the things that they feel? I know some parents were surprised at the language their children chose this morning. And I think that's wonderful. It shows me that our RE classes are giving kids freedom that their parents may not be. I may not be. I might be too afraid of uh, indoctrinating someone accidentally. It's like giving them a vaccine that's going to give them a mental defect. Um, Included in the written curriculum, Whose We Are, which is the name of the curriculum, is a sermon uh, of the same name that was given by Reverend Sarah Lamert of the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood, New Jersey. In it, she tells the story of a Holocaust survivor named Edith Mayer, who had recently become a member of their church. And I'd like to share that story with you. Uh, Because Edith had been diagnosed with end-stage cancer, her family became determined to grant her fondest wish, to see her grandson bar mitzvahed before she died. Now this grandson had grown up in a Unitarian Universalist church. We don't teach Hebrew, typically. Now, Max is only 12, not old enough to be bar mitzvah, and has not been raised in the religious household, nor has he been attending Hebrew school. This didn't fit with the requirements for bar mitzvah at area synagogues, so the family searched for and found a wandering minstrel cantor, the wonderful cantor Debbie, who was willing to teach Max what he needed to know over webcam and flew up from Florida to preside over this ceremony on a Friday. It was a beautiful night full of poignancy and love. At one point, Edith herself got up to offer a toast to her grandson. I didn't think I would live to 18 much less live to see my grandson have his bar mitzvah. She said, Max too spoke, promising to tell her story. There were tears of pain and loss, but also a deep sense of continuity with the past, broken as it was. There was also a sense that the generations that came before passed what is most essential down. That the generations to come might have beauty and wisdom and something larger to live into and be a part of. Thank God for Unitarians, one of the guests said. Acknowledging that it was our community that had made this meeting of cultures, traditions, in such an authentic but also decidedly non-traditional manner 
possible. Depth of tradition is something that cannot be feigned. Depth of tradition does not come from spontaneity. As fond of that as I am. To have it to give to our children, we have to have it ourselves. As Reverend Carley said in his own sermon titled, Whose Are We?, and a lot of the ministers from the retreat were asked to go back to their congregation and have these sermons. It takes me a while. Quoting Burton, To be spiritually alive is to come to consciousness that something is asked of us. He goes on to say, What we belong to is so much more than freedom, reason, and tolerance. I'm continuing the quote. I call it the life of the spirit that dwells in each of us but is larger than us. We come here not simply to think and talk about religion. We come here to gain awareness about what is being asked of us. To enter in relationship with what is eternal and sacred and worthy of our struggle and love and devotion. We come here to stir that awakening in us. As I sat in a courtroom this week watching jury selection for a capital case and seeing one nightmare of a circumstance after another happen, it made obvious to me how flawed a system is that in some unarticulated way had made me feel safe when I was not looking at the system. Recognizing how broken or, or, or flawed anyway the system really is takes away some of that feeling of safety. But then I came here on Thursday night to an interfaith delegates meeting and granted the attendance was a little less than we had hoped. But in that room were people from churches all over town that were committed to trying to do something about the justice system, committed to trying to do something about the fractures in our education system, committed to trying to do something about safety in, in, in neighborhoods, and I, I can't even think of all the things that we had meetings about during that meeting to make plans to be active. Being in that meeting made the f- circle feel completed. 
There's brokenness. There are efforts to fix it. Change happens. There's new brokenness. There are efforts to fix it. Change happens. There's brokenness. There are efforts to fix it. There's change that happens. And in all of this, we learn. In all of this, we grow. And if we are serving this, there's something greater than us that we're belonging to. Well over a month ago, I made a rather bold request, I think, for this church. I asked the people that were in attendance on a particular Sunday if they would, no matter how they felt about it, try for a month every day to pray for this church whatever you understand prayer to be. I don't have any idea how many people actually did that. I'm not sure what prayer means to you or what even the word calls up for you. But if there is some practice that you have in your own spiritual disciplines of focusing energy thought intention in a positive way I would ask once again hopefully it's a different group of people if not that's fine too but for those of you who have not been doing that I would ask again that we try for a month every day Centering our thought, sending positive energy into the world with thoughts that are good about all souls and the things that we're trying to serve, whose we are. Thomas Merton wrote, he's a Trappist monk, um, was a Trappist monk. Our real journey in life is a matter of growth, deepening of an ever greater surrender to the creative action of love and grace in our hearts. Never was it more necessary for us to respond to that action. I pray that we may all do so.